Hello, my rebels. I got a question for you. Do you think the vaccine is really going to be voluntary? Or do you think it's going to be mandatory? Or do you think it's going to be sort of semi-officially mandatory, like you need a vaccine passport to go to any restaurant, get a job, fly on a plane, rent an apartment? I'll go through it with you in this uh, podcast. But before I do, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. Today's a day it would help because I'm going to show you a lot of interesting things, including a lot of charts from a Government of Canada survey, a poll on people's attitudes about vaccines and lockdowns. Very interesting. Um, Before I get to the podcast, boy, I'd like to invite you to go to rebelnews.com, click subscribe, eight bucks a month, become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus, get the video version of this, plus weekly videos by Sheila Gunn-Reed and David Menzies. It's just eight bucks a month at rebelnews.com. Okay, here's today's podcast. Tonight, what will happen to you if you don't take their vaccine? It's November 30th, and this is The Ezra LeVant Show. Why should others go to jail when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Hey, remember this story? Bill Gates met with Jeffrey Epstein many times despite his past. Let me read a bit. In fact, beginning in 2011, Mr. Gates met with Mr. Epstein on numerous occasions, including at least three times at Mr. Epstein's palatial Manhattan townhouse and at least once staying late into the night. According to interviews with more than a dozen people familiar with the relationship, as well as documents reviewed by the New York Times. His lifestyle is very different and kind of intriguing. Although it would not work for me, Mr. Gates emailed colleagues in 2011 after his first get-together with Mr. Epstein. Of course, he went on to have many, many more get-togethers, so I guess it was intriguing. You'd think this relationship would come up just about every time Bill Gates is on TV. He was friends with Jeffrey Epstein, visited him frequently, stayed at his house late into the night, and his lifestyle was intriguing. And that's just what we know about. Imagine letting this guy on TV without asking about it. Every time it would be like having Harvey Weinstein on to talk about films and not asking him about all the rapes. And I think they said it was just a conspiracy theory that there's a cabal of billionaire pedophiles out there. Yeah, you stick with that. I've had the story for three years. I've had this interview with Virginia Roberts. We would not put it on the air. Um, First of all, I was told, who's Jeffrey Epstein? No one knows who that is. This is a stupid story. Um, Then the palace found out that we had her whole allegations about Prince Andrew and threatened us a million different ways. Um, We were so afraid we wouldn't be able to interview Kate and Will that we, that also quashed the story. And then, um, and then Alan Dershowitz was also implicated in because of the planes. She told me everything. She had pictures. She had everything. She was in hiding for 12 years. We convinced her to come out. We convinced her to talk to us. Um, It was unbelievable what we had. Clinton, we had everything. Sure. So anyways, Bill Gates, who is not a medical doctor, but has a lot of opinions about what to do with your body, he's the toast of the town these days. I guess that's what having $50 billion does for you. You can buy whatever you want, including loving media coverage. I'm surprised the New York Times even published what it did about his close personal relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. 
So he wants a vaccine for the coronavirus to be mandatory for every single human to be forced to take it. He said so repeatedly, as in men, women, children, all seven billion of us, which is odd because kids don't really get the coronavirus. And when they do, they almost always get better, COVID-19. I mean, I think in all of Canada, there's been a single death under the age of 20, and that youngster had massive health problems to begin with. So the risk of people under 20 is about one in 10 million, if my math is right. Why would you immunize kids then? If your vaccine is so safe, is it so safe that it's safer than real life, which says you've got a one in 10 million chance of dying from it? If you're a kid, seven billion people, that includes kids, pregnant moms, moms who are nursing babies, you're gonna jab them all with a vaccine that was only invented a few months ago that hasn't been tested on any kids or any nursing moms yet, and you call this public health. Oh, you bet, Jeffrey Epstein's buddy says that's ethical, and Jeffrey Epstein's buddy knows a lot about morality, doesn't he? Here's an interview he did. The efficacy of vaccines in older people is always a huge challenge. You know, it turns out the flu vaccine uh, isn't that effective in elderly people. Most of the benefit comes from younger people not uh, spreading it because they're vaccinated. And that, that benefits on a community basis, the elderly. Here, we clearly need a vaccine that works in the upper age range because they're uh, most at, at risk of that. And doing that so that you amp it up so it works in older people and yet you don't have side effects. You know, if we have, you know, one in 10,000 uh, side effects, that's, you know, way more, 700,000, uh, you know, people who will suffer from that. So really understanding the safety at gigantic scale across all age ranges, you know, pregnant, male, female, undernourished, uh, existing comorbidities, it's very, very hard. And that actual decision of, okay, let's go and give this vaccine to the entire world, uh, governments will have to be involved because there will be some risk and indemnification needed before that can uh, be decided on. Boy, there's a lot in there, isn't it? He wants to really amp it up for seniors, give them a big dose of it. This guy is not a doctor, let me remind you, but his advice is to really amp up doses of the vaccine to seniors. Now, I'm not sure if that sounds right. You know what a vaccine is, right? It's small amounts of the virus, hopefully inert, that cause the body to build up defenses to the virus, like giving someone a tiny bit of poison so they can build up a tolerance of it. That's a layman's explanation of a vaccine, but Bill Gates wants to really amp up that dose for seniors. Oh, and who knows? I mean, he says maybe you're gonna get one in 10,000 people dying. Just one in 10,000, eh? So right there, that's a thousand times more lethal to young people than the disease itself. One in 10,000 dead. So he estimates if that happens, that's 700,000 all over the world. But that's a price he's willing for you to pay. Again, it shows that he really means for children to take it if he's talking about 7 billion and 700,000 dead. And that last part he said there, did you catch that? Companies, and presumably Bill Gates and his $50 billion, are going to need governments, that is taxpayers, to indemnify them. He wants to jab everyone with the vaccine, um, but he doesn't want people to be allowed to sue him if it goes wrong. That's how certain he is about the health of it. You know, that's a neat trick. Force people to take a vaccine that you have rushed to market and haven't tested in the normal fashion, 
but pass a law saying they can't sue you if they get sick. You'd think if he was so confident, he would risk his own $50 billion. I mean, why won't he? Why won't a man worth $50 billion who wants to treat us like ants in his ant colony and order us to do things, why won't he put his own skin in the game? Hey, where are all the pro-choice people at? My body, my choice. Keep your rosaries off my ovaries, that sort of thing. Can we get a bit of a hand now from you pro-choicers? How can I keep Bill Gates from jabbing a needle into my arm with some vaccine he's just cooked up in the past few months as some weird messiah complex? By the way, there are a number of competing vaccines out there. Do we have to use Bill Gates as one? Trudeau the moron originally signed a big contract with a Chinese vaccine company. Will he ever get up off his knees regarding China? But you know about 90% of our medicines and vitamins right now are made in China as it is, right? Do you think your vaccine will actually be made in Canada? Do you think that? Um, And if uh, these vaccine pushers are protected from lawsuits, do you think that makes them more or less careful if they can't be sued if it goes wrong? Now, will vaccines be mandatory? Well, perhaps not by direct order from the government, but what if every bullying corporation forces you to do so on behalf of the government's uh, request? I mean, the government doesn't have to ask for you to do it. Like the out-of-control woke bully who runs Qantas Airlines out of Australia. He says he'll require it to fly on his planes. Now, he's a corporate CEO. He's not a doctor. He's not a legislator. But you can't fly on that dominant airline if you don't show him proof you were jabbed. It's crazy down there. Here's an Australian politician implying you can't get benefits without a vaccine. So yeah, it's your choice, mate. I mean, no one's forcing you to get the vaccine. Just don't expect to get any benefits from the government without it have absolutely no doubt about that. Um, But there will be um, strong, uh, um, you know, I I suspect the majority of Australians will get vaccinated and there there will be a strong um, public view um, that those who choose not to get vaccinated um, uh, need to, um, uh, there needs to be some sort of um, incentive stick perhaps um, through the current programs, including no jab, no pay, um, uh, to, to make that happen. That was a few months ago. Here's the UK's Minister of Vaccines today. They really have a Minister of Vaccines. He's talking about immunity passports. So sure, it won't be by the government. They'll just require it to go to restaurants, buses, trains, airports, apartments, uh, get a cell phone. But you see, it's not mandatory. Take a listen. Okay, but presumably it will be the case that if you have a vaccine, you will then have some form of immunity passport. And we know that Baroness Harding, who's running Test and Trace, is is looking at this idea of even having it in the app, the proof of your vaccine status. Uh, That is presumably going to limit what some people do. If you want to go to a football game, for example, or if you want to get on a flight. We we are looking at the technology and, of course, a way of people being able to inform their GP that they've been vaccinated. But also, I think you'll probably find restaurants and bars and and cinemas and and other venues, sports venues, uh, will probably also use that system, as they've done with the app. The reason I think partly the app's been so successful, I think we're touching just under 19 million 
downloads of the app is because a lot of places that you would go to, they'd have got the QR code from the NHS uh, that you scan for your own safety. Uh, and so I think the, 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 in, in many ways, the, the, the sort of the pressure will come from both ways, from service providers who will say, look, you know, demonstrate to us that you've been vaccinated. Now, all of that may sound Orwellian, but it's all too timid for Teresa Tam, who says we should just lock up people who dissent. Again, it's your choice, people. You don't need to get jabbed. You'll just stay in quarantine till you do. But again, the choice is 100% yours. I think the public has to know this is one of the worst case scenarios in terms of an infectious disease outbreak in that their cooperation is sought. If there are people who are non-compliant, there are definitely uh, laws and, and public health um, powers that can quarantine people in mandatory settings. It's potential you could track people, put bracelets on their uh, arms, have police and other setups to ensure quarantine is undertaken. That's her in that National Film Board documentary a few years back. And remember that public works memo asking companies to send in information about building quarantine facilities? They're for quarantines and other purposes. I wonder what those other purposes are. Hey, what do you think about all this? I know that the official opposition has been quite as a mouse as have civil, civil liberties groups in the main, most of the media too. So does everyone agree with all this? No. Here's a major poll done by the Canadian government. There are flickers of hope in it. Take a look. It's part of a rolling series of polls on the virus. It's interesting. Look at chart B11. In the past two weeks, most Canadians say they have visited friends and family indoors, 58%. And that's just the number who have told pollsters that they did. I wouldn't tell that to a pollster or anyone. So most people in real life aren't actually living like paranoid maniacs. They're living like, oh, you know, how Justin Trudeau lives. He visits his family whenever he wants after lecturing us not to do that. Uh, chart C1 is interesting. Only about half of people say they trust government health officials. Very interesting. Again, this is just what people tell pollsters. I, I bet people are afraid to tell the truth to pollsters about questions like this. And look at that. Look at chart C2. People say they trust government officials, but look at that. They don't actually follow them. Much, a much fewer uh, number of Canadians actually listens to the government. Do you trust the government? Oh, yes, yeah, definitely, definitely. But do you actually listen to them? Oh, no, no, don't be ridiculous. It's interesting wrinkle, isn't it? Depends on how you ask the question. You get the truth of it. Uh, now, chart E1B says 65% of Canadians would use a safe vaccine. I'm surprised the number's that low. But that's one that's safe. How do we know it's safe? Because... Justin Trudeau says so because Theresa Tam says so. The cuckoo told us to wear face masks when having sex because Bill Gates says so, but he insists we're not able to sue him. So yeah, I'm sure 65% of Canadians actually would take a safe vaccine. I, I think I'd probably put myself in that category. But there's the rub, isn't it? What is safe and how do you know? We just saw that half of Canadians don't even trust health officials about the basic news. I say again, people don't believe the health authorities. I don't know if they're going to believe, take this vaccine rush to market. Chart C8 says 43% of Canadians are completely confident that vaccines are safe. So now we're at a smaller number already, aren't we?
Again, telling the pollsters what they want to hear, not even 43% of vaccine manufacturers would say they're completely safe. I don't think any would say that because they don't know that yet. Nothing's completely safe. That's why Bill Gates wants them rushed into the market with a legal rule against suing them for side effects. Look at chart C11B. Again, it's probably closer to the truth. No one wants their kids to take it. No one does. Except Jeffrey Epstein's pal, Bill Gates. And look at this. This is the Adam Skelly question. Chart E7. 52% of people want all non-essential companies to be able to open. Just a tiny fraction of Canadians don't want that. Non-essential. No one believes in that. No one believes in banning non-essential people because they know that just means anyone who isn't powerful and connected to the elite. I'm essential. You're essential. People have had enough of this. This is the Liberal government's own polls. You know why I like that Adam Skelly barbecue rebellion? Because it's a reminder to Justin Trudeau and Doug Ford and John Tory and every provincial premier and every Canadian mayor, oh, and every conservative politician who's too timid to speak up, that people aren't really going along with this great reset. There's a lot more disagreement here than you can find on the CBC and CTV. Stay with us for more. Well, you know, I think he's probably my favoritist journalist who's not a rebel. His name is Andrew Lawton. He's the host of The Andrew Lawton Show, a very easy-to-remember website, andrewlawtonshow.com. He's a big shot over there with True North, and he's a friend. And uh, I'm delighted for him to join us now to talk about all this pandemic madness. Andrew, great great to see you again. Yeah, likewise, and uh, adding to the adjectives in a different era, a travel buddy as well. That's right. Back in the before times, uh, we went to interesting events together, including a free speech conference in London, uh, which was quite ironically named. Anyways, I want to talk about... The before and future times. Let's have some optimism. Yeah, from your mouth to God's ears. Um, In your latest podcast, you talked about three different victims, not of the virus. None of these three people got sick. They were the victims of a non-medical virus, a civil liberties crushing government authoritarian. I, I don't know if I'm using the, I shouldn't use the word virus, but it's, it's creeping, it's growing. It's what's most deadly. You talked about a pastor, a politician, and a restaurateur. Give me a, a little bit of a summary for our viewers who didn't catch a podcast, what, your, what the common theme amongst those three people are. Well, I mean, there are two answers to that. The first is a, a politician, a pastor, and a restaurateur try to walk into a bar but can't because it was non-essential. Hmm. The less joking version of it is that all of these three, within the span of about 24 hours, were ticketed in Ontario by police. Or I shouldn't even say ticketed. I, I think charged is the more appropriate word because they weren't just given a, a little you know, slap on the wrist, pay this fine. They were issued court summons, all for violating the uh, supposed reopening on 
Ontario Act, which means they were fined for protesting against the government. And, uh, you know, all three of these, I, I think, are part of the same thing here. And a lot of people in your audience and mine, I, I know, have been paying attention to Adam Skelly at Adamson Barbecue, but Randy Hillier as well put together a, a protest at Queen's Park, was charged. Pastor Henry Hildebrandt in Elmer, Ontario, charged by London police who drove to Elmer, which is about half an hour away, but still a different town, to serve him at his home for attending a protest in London. And, and this is now becoming the new reality. And actually some breaking news for you, Ezra, which came out after my podcast, so you get the jump on it. Uh, Pastor Hildebrandt's son just texted me a few moments ago to say that he's now been visited by authorities and given a, a, a ticket or a summons to court for participating in a rally. So there's this coordinated sweep happening right now of uh, people who have been standing up to protest against lockdowns. Yeah, and you know, I, I am not a practicing lawyer. It's been a long time since I had my shingle out, but um, I've been going through the provincial legislation. I see nowhere that a public health officer who's really just a bureaucrat with a medical credential has the power to direct police to do his or her bidding. I mean, these are creatures of tickets. Like, it's like a parking ticket. It's like a meter maid. Um, you have health officers. They have the kind of power to come in and put a placard up in the restaurant window saying, you know, there's botulism here or we found rats here. They have the power to shut down a restaurant that's infectious. But they don't have the power to send in police, let alone 100 police, including four on horseback, that is simply not within the power of a health officer. Even if they go to court to get an order, that's not contemplated in the laws. I am worried that no one is on guard here. No one's pushing back. You mentioned Randy Hillier, and he's great. And he did get a ticket, which was overshadowed because that was the same day that the Adamson's barbecue thing went nuclear. But you can count on one hand's fingers the number of politicians who were skeptics about this whole lockdown. I don't see it even in the federal conservatives. They're talking about the spending being out of control, but I don't see any expression of care about civil liberties. Am I just missing it? Is there some hero out there, Andrew, who's fighting against the civil liberties infractions that I've simply missed? No, not at all. I mean, we have certainly seen some voices in media. Now, almost all of that has been from the right. We've seen some people in, in civil society groups, but in politicians, uh, not at all, with few exceptions. And remember, those who have taken the position have found themselves outside of the political apparatus. Belinda Carajalios in Ontario is an example of this. There's a, a very serious point here that I, I have to share with you and your, or view, your viewers, Ezra, and, and that is that opposition politician charged with protesting government. Yeah. That yeah. is a headline I have seen in Belarus. That's a headline we see in Congo. That's a headline we see in Russia. You talked about the Media Freedom Conference uh, that we attended in London a year and a bit ago. That's a headline we hear in some of the Banana Republic dictatorships that leaders talk about at that conference. Opposition par politician charged with protesting government. This is not something that we should understate the significance of. Yeah, you know, you're so right. Let me put on the screen right now an image of, I, I'm sorry, I'm gonna call it police brutality. In London, England, a swarm of cops just mauling a guy, not because he's some typhoid Mary, but because he was protesting, and he, I guess, wasn't with Black Lives Matter or Extinction Rebellion. And you'll notice in the top left corner of this footage, it says Ruptly. That's uh, a Russian state-owned broadcaster. Their specialty is just showing footage with no comments. They don't have any 
TV announcers, it, they just show things and you just watch it. And it's very powerful when you think about it. Here's a Russian state broadcaster simply turning the camera on in the streets of London where you see a hundred British bobbies beat the living daylights out of a guy because he was protesting the lockdown. Normally it's shoe on the other foot, Andrew. Normally it's the British or Western media saying, look at Vladimir Putin beating up his dissidents. I find this moral, morally inverting. I find myself cheering for people who are fighting the cops. I, I don't want to fight the cops, but the cops are fighting me. Yeah, and you know, it, I, I've had some pushback from people about this. I, I try to avoid blaming the frontline police officers for this. And, and if you watch the video of Pastor Henry Hildebrandt getting the, the charge, the police officer says something very subtle, and he was very professional in the video, but he says, you know, I, I have to serve you this summons. And, and I, I do think there is a feeling there. And I, I've talked to some police officers that, again, are... are you know, in between a rock and a hard place here. I think it's interesting. They were forced to stand by when thousands of people, thousands of people in cities across Canada, including the prime minister, were saying that police officers uh, should be defunded, that they're murderers, that they're killers, the Black Lives Matter protests. I'm not saying that Trudeau himself used those terms, but was part of a protest where that was the uh, the rampant narrative. And now police are, are forced to uh, go after smaller protests, which then ostensibly are more safe, and start issuing tickets to many of the people who, by the way, were supportive of police earlier this year when everyone was saying defund them. So I, I do feel they're in a, a very ba bad situation. I look back at the politicians that are giving the orders, the politicians that are laying the directives, and I, I know people can debate and, and discuss, and, and that's a, a discussion that I think is an important one about the role of, of law enforcement agencies in this. But it's interesting that countries have had their moments throughout this. Remember, earlier on, Britain was the example of, of this rampant overreach. And you just talked about this a moment ago. Then Australia became the hotbed of this. Mm -hmm. And now Canada is starting to see the volume of government overreach and uh, really this authoritarian mindset to enforcement that we saw in Britain and saw in Australia, that while we had some smaller examples of it earlier, was not to this extent. Like we were seeing things, you know, so-and-so ticketed for playing in a park, and, and these were bad and examples of something bad, but they were just the very beginning of something that's now getting much worse. Hmm. You know, I'm worried because we've had the benefit of looking at these other places in the world we actually have, a, you, you probably know him, Avi Yamini is a reporter down there in Melbourne. Yes. He was in the epicenter of the harshest lockdown in, the, in a democracy. So we saw it from the inside. He's been very successful in pushing back, but we always thought, oh, it's far away, it's far away. I feel like it's coming here. It's interesting they're going for these Christian churches first. They're going for, um, of all the MPs and MPPs and MLAs, they went for Randy Hillier first. Um, it's interesting they went after the sort of blue-collar uh, working man restaurateur first. I am worried that the excesses we've seen around the world are coming here. I don't think our society is ready for it, although I think the people have now been through several months of obedience conditioning. Let me just remind you, Andrew, that masks were not mandatory in Canada till late August. The, the pandemic peaked in April. May, June, July fell way down. Masks were not mandatory. They were only brought in mandatorily two months ago. And I think the whole paranoia, absolute social peer pressure thing only began then. And I think that, I think that a significant percentage of Canadians, I don't know if it's 25% or 40%,
I think that they are absolutely automatons for the harshest lockdown imaginable. I think we are headed for trouble. Last word to you. Yeah, and you know, there, there's this fantasy that I have whenever these uh, big overreaches happen, whether it's on lockdowns or on free speech fights or in other things, that you know, it's going to be so bad that people can't help but see it and, and push back against it. And unfortunately, I'm I don't know baseball, so my numbers may be off. I know Menzies is going to get upset if I get this wrong. I think I'm batting whatever a bad number is. I think maybe batting zero on this because uh, people do still go along with this, and and Canadians are are by their nature compliant, and and that's uh, I think a, a big risk to people. Now, the one thing I, I will say is that there, there are odd coalitions forming. I, I mean, a lot of the time people tend to try to view things in, in left-right terms, but that's not really that appropriate. I mean, there are a lot of small business owners who are, you know, liberal, apolitical, even some people that are farther on the left that are kind of fed up with the lockdowns as well because they know that they're conscientious. They believe in it. They buy into it. They think, yes, COVID's an issue. I'm supporting of masks. I'm supportive of social distancing. My business is safe. Why can you not let me run my safe business? And we are starting to see, uh, you know, the, proverbi the proverbial adage that politics makes for strange bedfellows. We're seeing that now. This is not just a, a right-wing thing. Huh. Well, I hope you're right. And I, I note that Robert F. Kennedy Jr., gave the keynote speech on an anti-lockdown protest in Berlin. And that, I thought, was very interesting. Uh, I told you you'd have the last word. I often say that. I usually mean it. But I just want to throw one more thing at you. I note that it's been 19 years since we all accepted the temporary intrusion on our lives of airport security theater. Take off your shoes. Let strangers grope you. 19 years later. Uh, we're still going through that security theater. I fear we'll still be in this COVID mania years to come. You're one of the good guys, Andrew. Um, once again, the show is andrewlawtonshow.com. You're at tnc.news. Give me, uh, what, what are you working on now? I don't want you to give away the scoop, but uh, tell us what we can look forward to generally from you in the next few days. Listen, I, I'm hearing from people all over the country that are getting tickets, that are uh, being kicked out of stores for not wearing masks, even if they have medical exemptions. So I, I think I'm going to be, for the foreseeable future, sadly, uh, working on, on telling some of these stories, which we know the mainstream media is not interested in. Yeah, or, or they take the other side on them. All right, Andrew, yes. thanks for your time today. Good luck. Anytime. All right, there you have it. Andrew Lawton, what a good egg. Stay with us. More ahead. back to my show Friday about Donald Trump. Grace writes, if ever a president deserved to win a second term, it's President Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, he has fixed so many things. And if you put aside his personality quirks, what's the objection? Whenever I meet a Trump derangement person, and I meet them because I live in Toronto and I circulate, um, if you say other than personality, other than stuff that bugs you, can you quarrel with what he's actually done? No, they've never thought about that. It's just they don't like his style, so they say. Douglas writes, since Trump was elected, I have watched him carefully and have noticed that the USA press have tried to take him down since day one. Democrats have been trying to destroy him since before his term even started, and they are mad as hell that most of the Canadian public refuses to believe their incessant lies about him. The fools think they finally have him down right now. Well, he may be down, but he's far from out. Well, remember, by this point in the year 2000, Al Gore had not conceded. He fought for over a month. 
Donald Trump may, in fact, lose in the end. I think the odds suggest that. But, boy, he seemed to unearth a lot of oddities about big city Democrat vote counting machines. And by machines, I mean, you know, figuratively speaking, a machine, like a party machine, but actual machines. Who on earth would use a machine to calculate votes when those machines can be hacked or programmed in a nefarious way to, be, to begin with? I find that very odd and very un-American. Well, my friends, that's the show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here in Rebel World Headquarters to you at home, good night. Keep fighting for freedom.